This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Continuing our study in the book of Genesis and looking at the life of Joseph. Today we're in Genesis chapter 44. I want to call your attention to verse number 33. The verse reads, Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. In Genesis 44, we see the total transformation of repentance in the heart of these brothers. We've looked at length at the road that Joseph had been on, one that started with Ishmaelite slave traders and 20 pieces of silver, a road that led far away from the land of Canaan, which had been Joseph's home, to slavery in the house of Potiphar. The road led through injustice and incarceration, abandonment and despondency, and yet through it all, the Lord was with Joseph until eventually the Pharaoh had a dream. The butler's sudden epiphany of a Jewish slave that had correctly interpreted his own dream two years earlier eventually would lead this slave named Joseph in front of the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the Pharaoh himself. Joseph's character never wavered in the pit, in the prison, even in the palace. His unflinching confidence in God and his presence had now landed him over all the preservation projects that would eventually sustain Egypt in famine. In the days ahead, it would also make this nation tremendously prosperous. But for now, not only did Egypt have grain to save its own people, it was now making a small fortune selling it to desperate men from the world over starving for grain stored behind the watchful eye of Joseph. Well, unbeknownst to them, Jacob and his 11 other sons, who have returned not once but twice for food, are now desperate for their long-lost brother's help. Unbeknownst to him, the man in charge is their brother Joseph, the one they sold into slavery. Now, this is an essential development because Genesis 44 records the transformation of these men and how they have changed. You see, the years of guilt over their sin and what they did to their brother have been the cancer that has eaten at them since the beginning. Now it has finally come home to roost in their life through Joseph's ruse. He means to test their resolve in seeing whether or not they are truly repentant for their sin in Joseph's life. He does this brilliantly through the life of Jacob's favored son, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph knew the deep and doting love that Jacob had for both he and Benjamin. They were the two youngest sons born to Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. The latter, Benjamin, was born as Rachel passed from this life. So indeed, as Judah would eventually confess, Jacob's life is wrapped up with the boy's life. So Joseph cunningly exposes the dark past of his brothers by cleverly using the very medium through which they had sold Joseph, silver. 
You see, after showing the brothers such marvelous grace to give these boys not just food, but to forgive their apparent theft of the silver that he had put back in their bags the first time they came to Egypt, Joseph now rolls out the red carpet and feasts with his brothers. As the brothers sleep in the foreign land, their bellies full with the fruits of that land, Joseph secretly slips a cup made of, what else, silver, into the sack of the adorned son, Benjamin. As they make their way to their homeland with bags full of grain to save the lives of their family, they scarcely make it out of town when Joseph's plan is set into motion. He has his captain pursue them in and accuse them of stealing Joseph's silverware, namely a special chalice. When the boys protest, they reason with the captain. We brought back the silver that somehow found its way back into our satchels the first time we went home. Their logic was essentially this. Listen, thieves don't return what they stole the last time they came to your door. Their reasoning was clear, but nonetheless, the captain insisted that the cup had been stolen. The men were so quick to defend themselves that they say, if we have it, then the one who stole it will surely die and we will become your servants. The mercy of Joseph shines through as they return to the house. Joseph is feigning fury at this point, but even amid the ruse, he tells them he's not going to kill all of them, just enslave the one who has the silver. Just as Joseph's plan had been calculated, he had finally, at long last, isolated the problem in the life of these boys. You see, Joseph's design all along was to put these boys in a spot to see if they would do what they did the last time. Would they abandon the beloved son, the son of their father's love, to save their own necks again? Joseph wants to see if they've learned their lesson from the last time they walked in such depravity and deception. He wanted to know if they were genuinely sorry for what they had done to their older brother. The only way to do this was to get the favored son, Benjamin, away from his father and put them in a place to see if they would do it again. And that was what this plan was all about. At long last, after two trips to the foreign land, imprisoning Simeon, the famine, these brothers had come doing the very things, the dreams that Joseph had all those years ago foretold. They are now at his feet begging for mercy. And just as Joseph had hoped, their continued insistence on returning Benjamin to his father had exposed the lessons that their grief had spent the last few decades teaching them. Because when these boys find out that the treasured chalice is in the sack of Benjamin, these boys are overcome with grief. They will not allow Benjamin to stay there in Egypt. They refuse to let the boy be enslaved so that they could save their own skin. Joseph had used silver, slavery, and now subterfuge to put these men in the exact same predicament, giving them the chance to right the wrongs of their past by refusing to make the same mistake twice in surrendering their father's beloved son to slavery over just a few pieces of silver. What a brilliant plan and a glorious turn of events. Before their return to Egypt, Judah had ensured his father that nothing would happen to Benjamin on their journey. 
He'd promised to return with the beloved boy if his own life depended on it. Now, through no genuine fault of his own, Judah nobly takes responsibility for what has happened. And he intercedes on the boy's behalf, substituting his life for the boy's, surrendering to be a a slave in place of his father's beloved son, Benjamin. At long last, Joseph's secret plan had worked out as he had hoped. The boys had learned their lesson. They were now doing what they had not done the first time. They were now interceding for their beloved brother rather than conspiring to sell him as a slave. They were fighting for him, not ready to give him up. The plan had worked to perfection, and their genuine, heartfelt repentance over the sins of their past had now informed their response to the tragedy that lay before them. They had indeed learned their lesson, and now even Joseph knew it. So as we apply this story, we have to see this as the fruit of repentance. Repentance, at its core, means choosing to do the right thing. It means learning from your mistakes and taking responsibility for your actions. Clearly, these boys understood that all of this was happening to them because of what they had done to Joseph. And when presented with the opportunity to do it again, they genuinely rebuffed that temptation. This is how repentant hearts operate. When we have fallen into sin and we genuinely come to God begging for mercy, as these men had done with Joseph, we dare not turn again to the folly of our past. When given the opportunity to resist such temptation, to save their own necks, they refused, choosing instead to do the right thing. Repentance always follows this pattern. Genuine repentance in our lives is about refusing to fall prey to the same temptation when given the chance to do it again. No matter the ramifications of making the right decision, they refused to live with the guilt that their sin had caused them. The shame they bore over the mistakes of their past, the guilt they endured, would not allow them to wiggle off the hook when given a chance again to make the same mistake. In discussing the role of guilt and sorrow in repentance, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance, to a change of heart. For you were grieved as God wills, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. And then he says these words, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. For consider how much this diligence for this very thing, this grieving as God wills, consider what it's produced in you. What a desire to clear yourself. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way, you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. You see, repentance always results in a change of lifestyle. Paul's summation is that godly grief leads to a repentance that is incumbent for salvation. When we genuinely grieve over our sin, we find true repentance that leads us to salvation. 
The road these boys walked physically in their repentance is the road we travel spiritually when it comes to God. True repentance keeps us from falling into the same traps of temptation in our lives over and over again. May that repentance be true in our lives as well. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us to walk in true repentance. Help the grief over the past mistakes be the guide to the right decisions in the future. Thank you for being the substitute in the line of Judah who took the payment for our sin and may our repentance lead us to true salvation and victory over the temptations of this life. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.